Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. My name is Catherine. I'm a sexaholic. Uh, and uh, as I said before, thank you everyone for being here. Um, clean time uh, 2783, for which I'm never sufficiently grateful. And uh, I wasn't that grateful when I got here um, at all. Um, but uh, I only have a certain amount of time and I love to talk. Um, so I decided that the family uh, recovery in the family uh, is an important topic for me, uh, partly because I did not have a uh, I didn't I was not uh, fit to be in a relationship when I got here um, and uh, much as I had tried. So I, I thought I would share a little bit about what it was like, what happened, uh, what it's like now. And uh, I'll try to stick to the big book uh, format to some extent, although it doesn't go steps one through 12 if you look at the chapter headings. Um, yeah, I had an idea that something was the matter with me. Uh, oh, my! Uh, I was born in the year of 1953. And of course, uh, things have changed quite a bit, uh, especially um, sexual mores and all that kind of deal. Um, but, uh, I knew something was different about me. I seemed to light up, uh, with things that, um, other people might, you know, we say, take it or leave it alone. And, uh, uh, you know, exposure to, um, uh, gentlemen's magazines, uh, you know, at the age of seven, um, uh, I didn't know it was abuse, but uh, being uh, sexually abused at the age of nine uh, by another female um, who was 10. Um, and, uh, you know, having a lot of um, just confusion, along with uh, the confusion for me um, was that uh, I was sort of forcibly converted uh, to Catholicism at the age of 11. So then I had this whole sort of load of guilt about stuff that I only thought about. Um, and, you know, it was all or nothing, nothing at all. Um, yeah, so I was pretty confused. And um, I think the fuse was lit, as Roy used to say, um, when I was 14 years old, I was babysitting at a very smart college professor's house, and I discovered a lot of literary uh, pornography, and I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, it was just one cla classic after another, and uh, I didn't know what to do with the feelings, but, um, you know, again, I got that power, that, that feeling of... Um, 
uh, invincibility. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, as I say, you know, it, all those little neurons in my brain lit up. And uh, I actually didn't have the nerve or really the inclination to do anything physically uh, about things that I, you know, now knew, uh, you know, from books and chats with, you know, kids our age and all that kind of thing. And uh, things were um, pretty conflicted in my family after uh, um, I became a teenager. We moved to a, a different part of the country. Um, and, you know, I just fell right in with uh, things. I had a lot of responsibilities as, uh, as a teen. I had a brother who was mentally ill, who was always falling into situations, you know, hurting himself. And, you know, I felt responsible for him and, uh, you know, sexually abused in the family. And, uh, but at any rate, I kept my head above water. Um, I, uh, things kind of went along and I was in a, a class play about, a, a, it's a very historical, uh, well-regarded um, uh, play about a historical situation um during the war uh during world war ii and um i got to play a flirt and that was it man you know i had to kiss somebody uh which of course you know my character is you know and um i didn't want to kiss them and i thought i'm terrified you know it's like a peck on the cheek but the the way that character inhabited this sense of entitlement, power, control. I thought, whoa, there's something there. But again, I did not act on that impulse, uh, but I liked it. So when I was uh, uh, a senior in high school, I, I met somebody and kind of felt head over heels. And um, uh a foreign student, you know, very handsome, uh, kind of troubled like me. And, um, you know, again, there was very little actual sex conduct uh, for about 11 weeks. You know, it seemed really great. And then this young adult got in trouble with his uh, family, uh, his American family, and uh, he had to leave. He had to leave the country. It actually turned out he came out to British Columbia, which is, you know, pretty close to where I live in Washington. Uh, but I was devastated. I was devastated. And uh, I didn't know what to do with those feelings. And I had been invited to go out with my uh, the friends I had who were drinking on a regular basis and they kept inviting me and I kept saying yeah you know I don't want to do that I, I knew they were just getting blotto I I had never gotten drunk I had never really drank uh and uh through working the steps I learned that uh the very first uh day that this man left it was his birthday and it was uh December 14th of uh, 1970 and I got drunk that night and uh, I didn't quite black out, but I just loved having that moment in time where I could forget who I was, how I felt, 
and the the enormous sadness. It was like all the sadness of you know whatever had happened to me, and um, you know. And as one of my friends used to say, I moved in, and the next thing, the next night, I think it was a Friday night, the next Saturday night, and that repeated itself um, through uh, the next eight months, seven months, whatever. And uh, during that period of time, uh, it talks about our moral fiber. You know, it was like being on a slalom. Um, I uh, stopped caring about uh, theater. I stopped caring about my violin. I stopped caring about myself. I was now the proud owner of uh, hangovers every morning. And uh, I was... um, I thought I really need to lose my virginity. I know that sounds really crazy, uh, but I thought this is uh, this is important, and it was important for me to completely degrade myself. Um, yeah, but I had to do it with liquor, so I proceeded um, to do that uh, very methodically, and uh, I felt terrible about. Um, uh, being with uh, other girls' boyfriends. I had a really awful experience at work where I was sexually harassed uh, by somebody who kept saying, you know, my girlfriend doesn't care. And, you know, and being in the car and the whole thing, it was so awful. And, uh, you know, I hated myself. Like my sponsor, Sylvia, wrote in, uh, you know, flirting was a high for me. I hated myself. I hated the guy. I hated being with him. Uh, But there I was. And so um, it's taken me many years to give myself permission to have been the very sad, uh, heartbroken sexaholic that I became in a in a matter of weeks. And um, I, uh, like a lot of people, I swore off. I swore off on my birthday. I wasn't going to drink anymore. I wasn't going to smoke cigarettes anymore because I knew I was getting hooked. So by 1971, um, July 28th, I quit drinking. Uh, But then, you know, of course, we move in with the lust. And uh, I went to college. I was terrified to be at this gigantic school, 45,000 people. And um, I lived in a dormitory with uh, 899 other students. And we could, you know, mill around uh, freely. And uh, my number one objective was to have a boyfriend and uh, to have a regular sex life. Um, I hope that's not uh, uh, too explicit, Um, but um, I found that uh, I had a lot of power, you know, or so I thought, Uh, you know, that that exchange, that power in exchange. for the low self-esteem, um, doing whatever I thought I could do and, uh, being completely, thank you, being completely unable to control my behavior, drunk or sober. And, uh, anyway, I was all about, uh, uh, I, I was uh, very drawn to Judaism and uh, I thought I would uh, become Jewish by having Jewish boyfriends. And um, one was bad, and the second one was so awful. 
um, I identify with um, being in an abusive relationship, including uh, some physical fighting uh, where I completely lost who I was. Um, The guy said to me, uh, those people don't like you, this and that. And my family was just appalled by this. So I thought I would go to Europe and uh, have a geographical. So that I did and uh, managed to behave myself by and large until about the sixth week. I was there for two months. And um, uh, I found myself in a hotel room with my traveling buddy. And um, there I was again, like, oh, my God, who? What just happened? Who are you? Why are you doing this? And uh, actually, uh, my primary purpose in that trip was to go back and see the man, the young man that I had been involved with, who was married at the time, which was of no moment to me whatsoever. And uh, I pursued that insanity for the following uh, 11 years, uh, wrote to this man uh, on a regular basis. Um, uh, you know, again, you know, the fact that he was married and had a little child, you know, again, and, uh, continued that. And, uh, actually when I got sober, I, oh, I also want to say I was 12 stepped, uh, by the dear Abby column, actually Liliana, uh, M and I are one of uh, two folks, maybe there are more, who read uh, Set Free in L.A. that was sent to uh, Dear Abby, written by Roy K., who signed himself Set Free in L.A. And by that time, I was in multiple relationships. I was like a junkie. I had to have uh, physical contact with different individuals like three, you know, I remember one week there were four different people. And again, I just thought, oh, my God, how did this happen? Who is the, who are you? And my brother came to visit from uh, being in Mexico. I was living in New Orleans and uh, I couldn't even stay in the apartment while my brother was visiting because I had to have my fix. And uh, I knew things were going from bad to worse. So I thought, I'll get married. That'll do the job. So um, and by now, of course, I know that there's something going on and I have it. Uh, But nonetheless, I went after uh, this poor man I met on a hike or something and uh, proceeded. I thought I would go uh, clean, uh, not having other relationships, hadn't gotten the masturbation deal yet. Um, but thought, you know, went through the motions. And uh, I realized my biggest fear was I would be so sick, I could not be in a relationship. I could not, you know, I knew about women who didn't know who their uh, children were or who fathered them and this kind of thing. And I began to have that as an ideal. I wanted to be somebody I could respect. And I thought, uh, eventually, I came to the the conclusion that I would go to any length, any length, to be able to be someone I respected, and I would give up sex one day at a time for the rest of my life to have it. And um, you know, when I made that decision, uh, conveniently, the poor man 
uh, I was uh, engaged to broke up with me. And that was that morning when I dropped him off at the airport was the first day of my sexual sobriety. Um, I didn't know that when I was uh, a young adult. Uh, I was just uh, just before I turned the age of 30. I did not know I had a grave mental and emotional disorder, which, of course, sexual addiction often uh, comes hand in hand with that. And uh, so it, it turned out that God was very good to me. Um, I kept contact with Roy K. And actually, he kept contact with me. I would call him when I was really in a fix. But, um, uh, you know, and I, I, people would call me from, you know, people would write me letters. I got calls from Jess L. I thought, why are you calling me? And, you know, it turned out that he got sober literally a month after I did. And some of you might might remember him, some of the older uh, members of old timers, long timers. And um, he said, Catherine, don't worry. Uh, God's not going to leave you uh, without all, you know, all the promises, but we must wait. And uh, I think a lot of us come to SA and we go, when am I going to get my family back? Uh, when am I going to be able to be married? When am I going to have sex again? Let's be honest. And, um, you know, one day at a time, uh, I didn't really have an SA sponsor uh, at the time. Uh, I did get sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, which was a great help to me because I never, ever would have been able to uh, maintain sexual sobriety while I was drinking, although I did try for a few uh, weeks, months. And uh, the first thing I did um, was uh, almost uh, lose my uh, sobriety uh, with a mentally ill man uh, in my AA program. And uh, I uh, just used to say, just pray the Lord's Prayer. It will it will take away the lust. So here I am, you know, sitting in the guy's lap, this and that. And, you know, and the lust comes over me. And it always came for me from the top of my head down. So I thought, oh, my God, here I am. I'm losing my sobriety. So I thought, okay, God, take it away. But I'm going to harm myself. So I found a way to do that by uh, messing up at work. And uh, I was uh, obsessing so much. I uh, didn't turn my grades in. I was a graduate student. I didn't turn my grades in. And I thought, you know, I need to punish myself. And of course, you know, I was powerless over that. Uh, I was able to get sponsors in AA, but I didn't really have an SA sponsor to walk me through our steps until I uh, went to, uh, against my better judgment, of course, went to the uh, St. Louis Conference in 1986. So that's where I met Sylvia J., Jess L., uh, other people, some of whom stayed sober, some of whom did not. And, uh, you know, meantime, uh, I was doing little things like, well, let's go on a lunch date with somebody, you know, at two years of sobriety, that was a big deal. Um, but, um, it wasn't until I really got with you guys that I was able to have the promises realized for me. And, uh, it sort of began, you know, in St. Louis, Although um, I spent Saturday night eating popcorn in my room, which is something I would do all the time. 
And uh, but Sylvia kept saying, come on, you know, hey, we're together. We're we're sober. Let's you know, let's stick together. And I was invited uh, to be a uh, and again, what's the common denominator? It's service. And so I was invited uh, to be a co uh, a, um uh, facilitator of a retreat in 1987 uh, with Jean P. And some of us remember her. She was one of the bright lights who helped uh, get the literature um, uh, out. Um, and uh, um, I'll just uh, skip ahead a little bit. Um, by 1987, I had, was summoned by Roy after I flunked out of my PhD program uh, to serve on a committee that ended up uh supporting uh, and becoming uh, one of the early trustees. And uh, it was quite a ride. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. But in between, uh, I had, uh, okay, so that's 1987. So by now it's 1988. And uh, I had, uh, as I said, I flunked out of my uh, PhD program. I went back home to live it. Thank you. Five minutes <laughs> up backwards, but anyway, five minutes. So um, the family afterward finally happened uh, for me at about five years sober. I went to go live with my dad uh, because I had crashed and burned. And I thought, I'll just move back home to Washington and I'll get a job ASAP. And that didn't happen. But uh, my dad was the first person, uh, first man I lived with, uh, so to speak, in, in sobriety. And uh, I had a chance that was kind of an amends to me. Um, our relationship uh, was uh, very conflicted. It, I did not have a good experience with him uh, uh, as, a, as a child and a teen. But, um, you know, I got the feeling that, you know, all for one and one for all. So um, anyway, the next year, I, I was making an amends. I had gone over it with Sylvia. I, one of the sex partners that I had had a few years earlier, I felt I had really uh, mis, uh, um, mistreated. And I wrote the letter and I called her, read the letter. And I met my husband a week later, a week, two weeks later, uh, after I had gone to the Rochester conference uh, in 1988. I believe it was Rochester. And uh, Sylvia and I got together again, and I thought, and a, and a week after that, I met my husband. So that was uh, that was incredible. No sex before marriage. How about that? So uh, that was I was able to do that with the help of Sexaholics Anonymous guys like uh, Jerry J. I would get myself, you know, in a bunch, and uh, Jerry would say, "Now, Catherine, thank you, Catherine." You committed to being sexually sober throughout this uh, uh, courtship and engagement, and let's let's stick with it. And uh, that was enormously helpful. I hope Jerry is still around. He moved out to uh, uh, Pennsylvania from uh, Washington. I'm sorry, from uh, Long Island. So at any rate, um, I got uh, Sylvia J was my matron of honor when I got married, which was a dream come true. It was incredible. And I knew my husband loved me and I loved him. And he would always say to me, Catherine, I love you for who you are, 
and what you are. And uh, I needed to hear that over and over and over. And I still feel that way today. My husband has never criticized any of the many failures that I've had. Not not here, of course, not with uh, uh, alcoholism recovery, but uh, job losses, um, getting in trouble at work. Um, and of course, you know, dealing with my mental illness, which became very bad after my second baby um, and uh, postpartum uh, depression. I, di I didn't know what it was and didn't get any help for four years. So anyway, I went to law school, did a bunch of stuff. And uh, I know I have like a minute and a half or whatever. And uh, I meant to do uh, a little bit more reference to the steps but I have found kind of a new level of powerlessness and accountability and love dealing with uh, my young adult who is uh, opioid dependent, who has been in our home for two years. And um, part of uh, the things that I have to do as a person in a marriage is to say, what's more important, my marriage or being right about my child? And um, my other child, uh, I want to say, uh, came out as a lesbian in uh, 2011, uh, which I thought was kind of a uh, uh, God, you know, has a sense of humor because I was terrified of other, you know, lesbians and, you know, what am I by blah, blah, blah. So um, she's been a real blessing uh, to me. And uh, I've learned to love the part of me that identifies with who she identifies with. And uh, so she's 24. She was my uh, law school baby. And uh, so one day at a time, my husband and I found a family recovery in a uh, fellowship uh, for families of uh, addicted uh, uh, love, you know, of uh, addicted folks. And uh, we go to those meetings on Saturday evenings and one day at a time. <laughs> I don't kill the alcoholic, you know, I don't kill the SNI. So all the essays who love an Essanon know that it's more important to stay together than to be right about other stuff. And those are the only real, uh, 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 you know, uh, separations of, of our, you know, group conscience as a family. Um, one of the promises uh, for me was having uh, going on a family vacation with all my kids one minute going on a family vacation that my husband planned that I tried to talk him out of. And we did that a month ago. We went to the beach. I live, you know, we live about an hour and a half from the Pacific ocean and we went to the beach. We all got a cabin. My daughter, um, the addicted one, uh, Sylvie, the younger one with her uh, female partner. And it was heavenly. And I've waited many years to feel like I actually wanted to do this. Um, and uh, if you're wondering, does God want me? He wants you. He wants, I mean, my higher power, you know, I've always identified as being him, father. Uh, but hang in there. Beyond your wildest dreams, that's what we promise you. And I'm here to tell you it is real sobriety and a life beyond our wildest dreams is real because I'm here. And so I get to be with you wonderful people and live a life I could never have even thought of. 
So um, I hope that's helpful. Welcome to all the new people. I know it's horrible, but it'll get better. So thank you so much. I never sufficiently grateful for essay. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you for your share. I can't seem to find you, but uh, <laughs> I'm looking at you. Um, you know, I'm really grateful that you brought up other 12 step programs, you know, because um, something that I experienced is my sponsor took me to another 12 step program to Al-Anon. And I won't speak about that program because we're an essay. But the one thing that he told me when he started taking me to meetings, because he noticed in my first step share, there was a lot of alcoholism in my house. He said, you need to focus on what's killing you the fastest because my unmanageability and my disease was coming out in forms of unlawful behavior. So if I'm not sober and if I'm not working my program here, I won't be able to work my program there. So my question is, you know, something I notice in sponsees is also some Al-Anon tendencies and um, in their stories. So when do you recommend to sponsees, um, you know, that they work a dual program because I've gotten so much out of my other program and it's, it's benefited my essay program so much. So I want to know your experience with working multiple programs and when would you recommend to a sponsee? Thanks. That's a great question. Oh, how much time do I have to respond? A minute and a half minute. Oh, okay. What? Yeah. Okay. So I hear your question is, uh, okay, you identify as being uh, a loved one of an alcoholic. Um, I would say 100% of us qualify for asinine. I know I did. I did and do. Uh, And uh, being that I have grave mental and emotional disorders, you can imagine that I really have to pack my life with a lot of, you know, uh, spiritual uh, discipline, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, right now, uh, I attend two Anon meetings, uh, one of which, you know, is the original. Um, and, uh, I don't know. Nowadays, what I say, you you need to go to Essanon. But I would say if you're thinking about killing another uh, human being uh, who's uh, driving you up the wall, that might be a good place to start. And the only thing that I really can do is, you know, share about the unmanageability of my life. And it took me, and here's where that disease uh, came and manifested in me was that as I became more addicted, I became more powerless and helpless to be my own person with my mom. Now, my mother had me when she was 22, and then she had five other children. So basically, you know, in a way, you know, we kind of grow up together. But the legacy in her family 
was that she too had a, a mentally ill mother uh, who became addicted to alcohol and pills. And if you were a woman and you drank, chances are you would be a pill head too, right? And so uh, becoming a caretaker at the age of 12 is um, kind of a formula for um, some real disordered uh, thoughts and feelings. And so, um, you know, it's really, really helped me to just, you know, say with my mom, uh, 20 years ago, maybe a little bit longer, I had to have my car break down before I could say no to my mom for a family uh, gathering, say, Easter. And I wouldn't want to go and I'd be tired. And I had little kids, of course. And uh, one time I remember thinking, great, flat tire, engine breaks down. That's how much power I had over my relationship with my mom. I could not say no to her. And so, uh, you know, identifying that problem, I worked the steps in Al-Anon around that problem. But, uh, you know, I wanted to be free of it. I wanted to be free of it. And actually, I think my recovery um, in uh, with my uh, grave mental and emotional disorder has been enormously helpful because I can separate out what's going on, what triggers I have, and how I want them to go away. And so I have to kind of unspool, you know, you're an adult, you're married, you have children, you have responsibilities. If it feels comfortable and you have the time and you want to, then do it. Otherwise, work through whatever it is that's blocking me from my serenity. You know, what will she say? And my mother used to make me hysterical when she would criticize me when I was in my disease. And that was so humiliating, you know, to just be like a, just a hot mess because she said something about my, you know, whatever it is I wasn't doing that she wanted me to do. So, um, you know, that recovery is progressive. Of course, she's been my mom now <laughs> for 67 and a half years. So, you know, chances are you might get, uh, you know, you'll get a lot of chances. And if people die, you can still make that amends. You know, I wish I would have been a little more uh, loving and accepting of who my father was in our relationship before he died. But I had a lot of hurt feelings and uh, I did the best I could. But we can always pay it forward. And, you know, God will show you you know, how to, how to receive, how to give back that thing that you wanted to have, but didn't have at that time. So stick around. Uh, you know, he's going to show us and maybe it'll be with someone in the fellowship. Maybe it'll be with a perfect stranger, a kindness that we can do. We, you know, we don't have to work overtime to be one of God's kids. Thank you. Thanks, Catherine. Thomas? Uh, yes, hello. Uh, it's Thomas here. 
Yep, you can be heard. Um, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for your share. Really uh, grateful, very inspirational for me to hear. My question would be about uh, the addiction to flirting that you mentioned and the intense highs that you would get there. Um, what helped you to um, recover from that? Because I also noticed this in my behavior now at one year sober. Um, you know, it happens faster than I can think. Um, yeah, I would be grateful for any experience or suggestions on this. On this. Thanks. Yeah, the flirting begins with me and ends with me. And uh, I got a lot of power um, over what, you know, I mean, I was, a, I was 30 years old when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. So, of course, there were a lot of men and there are way more rules about how to conduct oneself in meetings, even in Alcoholics Anonymous, than there were back in the day. So there was a lot of, you know, flirting, uh, peekaboo, you know, all the stuff that we do, people calling, me taking their calls at night, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I actually have a great story about that. So I would tell Roy Kay that, uh, you know, just a fraction of what I was doing, you know, guys calling every night, guys, I didn't want anything to do with them, you know, if I would have, you know, been sane, right? And he said, Catherine, since I was going to two to three AA meetings a day, he said, why don't you keep a journal? And I, he was asking me to do some behavior modification, which I already knew about because I had taken a class. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so I was really smart. But anyway, Roy K said, take your little notebook and write down every time you have a conversation or what have you with a man. What the very first day I did it nine times, <laughs> like a third dealer, nine times. So I reported back to Roy and I said, Roy, <laughs> this is what I'm doing. And of course he knew, of course. And uh, he said, well, I just, I'd like you to be mindful about it. He didn't say, you know, you're a sick sexaholic. You're disgusting. He just invited me to take a look at myself. And so um, I understand, you know, re recovery is progressive, but and, you know, years later, uh, my daughter is gorgeous, and she has had the males flocking around her, drunk or sober. And uh, one of them was, you know, a little bit older, and he was starting to flirt. And I just said, I don't do that, and I want you to stop. That's it. That's all there is. And I ain't no more. So, you know, I can start it. I can stop it. And I think people appreciate seeing that boundary because it's you know it's not their boundary it's my boundary because it's it's toxic for me and it doesn't help them much either because we're just using them to fulfill a sick need uh for connection and it takes a it takes a considerable amount of time to be even be willing to ask god to remove the desire to do that. And uh, I can tell you this, though, 
I was in court one day about 15 years ago, and I had been dressed down by a judge about something. Don't I, I, I remember the case, but what I really remember is the humiliation. I was completely humiliated in a public way. And I was debriefing uh, this matter uh, with another attorney who had been there. And I remember the lust like coming up over me, you know, as I was doing my thing. And I thought, oh my God, I am so humiliated that lust, you know, it triggered the lust. So I kind of uh, saw that and uh, I thought, I just feel really, really hurt. And I believe that I was able uh, to share that and to know that, you know, at rock bottom, this is how my brain wants to, you know, give me that serotonin or whatever to uh, numb me out. And uh, yeah, it was real obvious when I was doing it, but I, I, I realized that that was really a terrible experience. And actually I don't do that kind of law anymore. So, um, you know, God does for us what we can't do for ourselves. But yeah, I think it's an important thing to be mindful of. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.